Hi, friends. You are listening to the EntreEd Talk podcast, where we feature amazing educators and entrepreneurs showcasing how you can bring entrepreneurship into the classroom. We believe entrepreneurship is for everyone. I am your host, Toy Hirschman, and I am so glad you chose to join me on this journey. Let's go. Okay, friends, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of the EntreEd Talk podcast. I'm your host, Toy Hirschman, and I am so excited to have with me Elise Burden and Kristen Dunn from Real, Real World Scholars. They are going to share all about their, their initiatives, their programs, and, and all the cool things that they're doing for students and entrepreneurship. This is really exciting. We had Kristen on, uh, it seems like eons ago. I think we decided it was number five. <laughs> And so this is really exciting to have her back and to have Elise on as well. So welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Toy. This is my, my first time, my inaugural. So I'm excited to be able to join the conversation. It's great. So why don't we just kick it off and let you both share about Real World Scholars, what that is, what that's all about. I know people who listened back in episode five might know, but we're going to kind of start fresh because that was a while ago. And then also even your own personal journeys from where you, how you got to, to land at this place that you are at today. Sure. And I can get started and pass the baton, Kristen. Um, it's wild because I feel like we're still always in startup mode as an entrepreneurial organization. And so on the one hand, I'm like, oh, we're a startup. And on the other hand, we got started in 2014. So, you know, we're about to be eight years old. And goal for us was always how to put money in the hands of students to practice entrepreneurship, to have the real lived experience of being able to create something and take it out into the world, interact with human beings. And so, um, Back in 2015, we were able to develop an e-commerce platform that allowed any K-12 class around the three to run a student-run business directly either from the classroom or an after-school setting. It was really about bringing young people together uh, and creating kind of a rich learning experience that was entrepreneurial, but maybe connected to other things that were happening in their classroom, uh, which is one of the reasons the platform is so flexible. It supports chemistry classes and second grade art projects, right? So um, <clears throat> to date, we've supported a little over 550 student-run businesses. And it's hard to keep track of all of the fun stories. I feel like we're consistently just blown away by the creativity, whether it's 3D printed orthotics or bird boxes or uh, you know, students who are in their community and brokering partnerships and starting on podcasts. You know, there is so much diversity in what students are doing in our community. And so uh, that's been our to date and we kind of continue to get to have conversations with educators and folks around the country around like what this looks like for them um but Kristen joined our team about four years ago is that right Kristen am I making that number up I think three and a half maybe now yeah something like that close enough <laughs> time is, isn't real yeah, anymore. it's irrelevant <laughs> it really is yeah. I mean, I think Kristen's been amazing on our team because we've seen a bunch of communities pop up around the country, which is you know, groups of educators who are, you know, building businesses in their classrooms. The most, uh, the strongest community I would probably say we have, or one of the strongest is our Pittsburgh community. And that's been in part because of Kristen's contribution. So I will let Kristen kind of introduce herself. Well, hello. <laughs> Uh, so I work in the Pittsburgh region, but uh, really helping out Real World Scholars as much as I can as well and other programmatic efforts. Um, and it's been great to see this entrepreneurial community come alive among the K-12 students here. 
Um, we have had anywhere from 20 to 40 teachers every year in the Pittsburgh region, Southwest PA really, uh, kind of Western part of PA, um, all the way up north down to the south is really where we've been uh, located. But, um, and it's been fun to see all the, the teachers and students grab onto the EdCorps platform and, and do real entrepreneurship. Because my background was I, I had spent many years in business, um, owned my own stores and things like that, and then um, went into education, uh, got my degree and became an entrepreneur educator. But one of the things I found was within classes, usually there isn't room for real startups. There's room for book learning and simulated activities and entrepreneurship. But um, the it really came to me after about my second year of teaching at G, I wish they could do this for real. And that's when I found Real World Scholars and the EdCorps platform. And it just was like a light bulb went off in my head. And how cool this is that you know, we could be doing real work with students today to get the uh, the career skills and everything that they need to develop for their future. And rather than waiting, you know, for someday for them to do something great. So that's been fun to be on this journey with EdCorps and, and to see that kind of work happening out there. That is so awesome. So this is a loaded question because of, <laughs> because of what I do for a living too. Um, so why why is it important for students to have a real actual business entrepreneurial experience opposed to a simulation or something else? You know, Toy, it is hard to answer that question with the brevity required for a podcast, right? I think it's a very <laughs> enthusiastic uh, argument around why experiential learning is, you know, is, is superior to the alternative. Um, there is nothing wrong. I love books. My house is full of books. I love to learn about things, but the reality is like, and, and I can't remember someone gave me this example recently, but you know, if you're going to learn to fix bikes, you're not going to learn it from a book. You're going to have to start working on bikes. Right. And, um, one of my favorite, there's, there's something transformative that happens when you're actually involved in creating something and sharing it with the world. And, and while I think some of these programs that walk students through the ideation process can really stoke creativity and imagination, and they can start to think critically about that, that process, they, they never have the opportunity to actually take it out into the world. Not only do they have that moment of that spark of connection, but then that spark of risk of vulnerability of authentic learning when someone says, you know what, uh, I, I have a different take on this, or this is my feedback. You know, and a lot of our classes have had those moments of like a customer not being pleased or them screwing up an order and having that like, oh gosh, what do we do? Well, now we learn, we lean in, right? And you'll never have opportunities if you don't ever take the chance to, to kind of put your work out there. And so uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, is from a student in our first year, we were really involved in the classroom. And by we, I mean, I <laughs> was really involved. It was just my co-founder and I, um, and so we did some student surveying and there was a kid who really, he spoke to me because he was so irreverent. He was just like one of those kids who had such a fire and he was so challenging, but I loved the fire. And, and I remember asking, you know, what is, um, what is running a student on business done for your classroom experience? And he said, well, before I didn't give a damn about my work, but now that people are actually paying me a lot of money for it, I actually have to try hard. And I don't think, even have that experience where you say, oh, wait, this actually matters. You can't have that experience unless, you know, we can make it real. Um, and I think that's what we see in the classrooms, even teachers who aren't necessarily like trying to teach traditional entrepreneurship. They see that the entrepreneurial process makes the learning real and authentic. Yeah, 
that's that's our kind of our we're singing to the choir thing as that's our motto too we just we know how important that is because when they when it's relevant to them and they own it it changes the game and i don't care what course what class what subject area you want to put this into it is such a game changer for students and just brings that uh, that content even alive for them which is so such a cool thing so um if I'm a teacher, let's say I'm uh, let's let's say I'm an eighth grade algebra teacher, um, and I find I find real world scholars, and I'm like, I really want to do this. So, what would I do? What would be my next step? You would go to our website, realworldscholars.org, um, and you can poke around. There are some t- pathways that say click here if you're a teacher, but you can also go directly to the EdCorps page, and that's where you can kind of learn more about. Um, what other classes are doing and what's been, you know, like some really cool case studies is, and there's also an apply button. You can submit an application. Um, we usually have grant funds to give away. Uh, we're still working on that for this upcoming year. Um, but typically we give away micro grants uh, to our teachers of varying amounts to get the, the classroom started. And so teachers can apply to be a part of that pool. We also have classes um, at districts that have the funds to pay for programming. And so if classrooms find themselves in one of those districts or maybe at a school that has that kind of flexibility or an after school program that has flexibility, they can also sign up for, um, they can just sign up for the program, right? We do licenses as well. So uh, you can just start by our website and navigate from there. I think it's all there. I think, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure it is. I was poking around. (laughs) That was the plan. I put it there. (laughs) <laughs> so um so then so then let's say I apply and I get and I get um a micro grant and then do I get do you guys would you help me figure out because like I I love this idea but I have no idea what to do about it right 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 I mean we try to plug our teachers in right away into our community uh we have coaching all of our materials are set up to be self-guided plus student facing as well so there's guidance from the teacher on the side, but it's really the experiential learning on on, on behalf of the students to run through. Um, but in terms of our community across the nation, we have fantastic teachers, um, many educators who have been with us year after year, many new ones coming in, and they connect and we host uh, connection opportunities that have been online then the last couple of years. Uh, and uh, just it has been amazing to us how much this peer-to-peer association happens and um, being able to guide each other through because each EdCorp is really unique. There isn't really a prescribed way of running an EdCorp because it runs in a variety of classrooms or after-school situations. It runs with a, uh, uh, five students. It runs with 125 students. Like each EdCorp is really unique in that way. One of the things we did uh, last summer was we uh, worked with some of our educators in co-creating playlists and um, clay books that helped teachers, it kind of uh, gave best practices and tips of how uh, to run an EdCorp in a club or how to run an EdCorp with over 100 students or, you know, in these different situations, we had about five or six different situations. So that guides a teacher through as well at first on how to get started. The first year teacher is usually a little timid. It's something new to kind of let go of control and let students have an experience and grab onto that experience and run this, this business. It's not easy for a lot of 
of educators to let go of that control. But we know from um, all of our teachers and response and feedback that, you know, that's one of the most critical growth areas for them as an educator is really putting things into students' hands and seeing what they can do with it. And um, I don't know, Lisa, if you have anything you want to add to that. Well, I think it's funny. Uh, it's funny to reflect on the journey because when we first got started, my co-founder and I, we really kind of come from an entrepreneurial background. And so, you know, the whole idea is like, there's no playbook. There's no one size fits all. So, and we thought that was going to be empowering for educators. Like, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're not teachers, you know, uh, and year, you know, by year two or three of like all the teachers looking at us and saying, no, but please help us with what to do. We don't know what we're doing. We're not entrepreneurship teachers. And the goal was really to build something that could work in any classroom context. You didn't have to be an entrepreneurship teacher, you know, who is running a fully outfitted business. We wanted it to be flexible, but then we realized that that meant that our educators were going to need a lot more support. Um, and kind of to Kristen's point, we found organically that they were finding a lot of support in one another. And so we really try to cultivate that peer-to-peer, the community, the community events, com- you know, community-created resources. Um, we've created some program resources that kind of walk students through the process a bit more, you know, and it's been challenging to find that balance of, you know, entrepreneurship not being highly prescriptive, but also giving them some bits and pieces of what could be a roadmap, you know, and so we launched uh, a few years ago, these EdCorps toolkits, which are just, you know, experiential five-step uh, toolkits that walk them through how to create a business card, how to choose your product, how to choose your name, and each of those toolkits Um, have them connecting with someone in the community. And at the end of that toolkit, they have something tangible to move their business forward. And um, and like Kristen said, they're all student facing. And so it was things like that that actually started to give the program more structure and more meat for teachers to work with so that, you know, students could build their business, but they weren't totally, you know, shooting in the dark. And so we continue to evolve our resources, but we're always trying to figure out what do educators need to do this work because we don't want to make it so challenging such an exceptional experience that you know that it either leads to burnout or it's only you know the, the few the few percent who can make it happen. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I, we have that a similar experience because we do a lot of professional development, and um, we don't force a curriculum. We want you to bring entrepreneurship into the classroom. You know, whether it's some way that you come up with, or whether it's through real world scouts, whatever it is, but we always find that usually at the end of the training, okay, I'm glad you're not giving me a curriculum, but is there something I can use to help get started? So we, we find that it's, it's kind of a funny it's kind yeah. of similarity. So yeah. um, what, as far as teacher engagement, what, it, what are some challenges that you've had? Um, and you can even include this past year as a big challenge. <laughs> I mean, I know Kristen could speak to this better than I could because she works more directly with some of our teachers, but I think the reality is for the last 18 months or however long it's been, educators have been beyond their threshold. And we talk about and have kind of normalized in our society talking about how overworked educators are to begin with, take on so much. Well, that not that, you know, volume got just turned up to the max. And so we were hearing from our teachers. Well, first we weren't hearing from our teachers. And and when we did when we did hear from them, it was this like, I'm so sorry, I've been totally underwater. And, and then second, there was so much, uh, there was just so much, um, like grief and shame, you know, people were so bummed that they felt like they should have been showing up better. We're so sorry, we haven't been in communication. Like, you know, I really felt like our teachers, and I think this really speaks to um, the 
how how seriously our, our community takes their jobs. But, you know, when they were looking around, having so many more things put on their plate and feeling like they should be able to hold them all better and feeling like they needed to be in communication with us. Um, we tried as much as possible to let our educators know that we were going to be here, that we weren't going anywhere. Uh, and it was OK that they weren't responding to the emails. And so I think that's been a real challenge. But over time, throughout that, while they weren't responding to um, important programmatic emails, they were showing up to these online meetups and like more than ever and staying hours longer. And it was this like wild phenomenon where like they were so strapped for time and uh, you know energy and bandwidth, but actually when they had opportunities to connect with each other in these like small settings, they were loving it. They were like so, so desperate for just like that connection, that support and for, to have other educators like near to them that, you know, they were not alone in how hard this child, you know, this, this year had been. And so it was really a beautiful year in that way for our community, uh, where we got to form different kind of relationships. We got to have really honest conversations. We had more meetups that just had like no programming. It was just like a coffee day. Come, come check in with us and tell us how you're doing. And people really took advantage of that. And so I think that has been both like a challenge and a growth point. We just kind of had to think about our relationships with our teachers a little bit differently than meet them where they're at. Yeah, we had, uh, it was a difficult year during the pandemic, as we all know, and Elise really, you know, structured that so well that even among this year, though, that human connection, and it just reminded us too that the entrepreneurial spirit is so based in human connection and human needs. And so that was lovely to see. Um, we did end up deferring a lot of teachers to this school year. So that's exciting that we have, you know, teachers back in action, but the teachers who did stick it out last year, the brave ones who were like, this may be a pandemic year, but you know what, we're going to go because what they ended up seeing and the stories we got out of the year were that in this time where students were shuffled back and forth between home and hybrid situations and the learning and just everything was just complicated last year for them. Um, we found that the ed corps who did show up and who continued and persevered just had these incredible years where they they learned perseverance and the adaptability and the resiliency that was needed to continue in small business and to continue doing what they were doing. And the engagement was there and the transformation for the students was there. And, and we were able to see that uh, even in hard times, you know, things do persevere. That's wonderful. I'm glad some were able to do it. That was, it's been a just terrible, terrible time for everybody with from teachers to parents to kids it's I just hope that we're on a, we're on a, a better path for this year coming up so oh my goodness so can you explain or share what um, what a student experience is like I know there's probably not a typical one it's probably because the way we when we deal with schools every school is different every group is different but like what what might ed corp look like from a student's perspective i can take a stab at this and kristen i'll see what you i'll be curious what you add um and toy you're right it looks so different in every class you know we have some classes where the teachers like roles are assigned by an interview process in which case a student might be introduced into the class and the teacher might say this is this is what we have going on this you know this is a two year your business and you know these are the opportunities for you to get plugged in the COO role the CEO role they may like learn about the business and learn about the ways or teams that they may you know be involved in um other times uh you know and then sorry I could have finished that thought there's typically we've had several teachers do you know interview processes applications and that's um 
you know, they, then students have the opportunity to kind of learn about what that process looks like to have to present themselves to put together a resume. Uh, you know, other classes will get started in a more organic way. Well, maybe they'll come up with their idea and then they'll say, what kind of teams do we need? Do we need a social media team? Do we need a production, production team? And in a similar fashion, students have the opportunity to explore those, you know, those, uh, those ideas, those kind of uh, activities to see where they might be interested, where they fit. And then hopefully they get plugged into one of those teams. One of our toolkits is around students creating teams and figuring out, you know, what their where their interests may lie. Uh, and so the hope is over the course of the year that they have an opportunity to contribute to the business as a whole, you know, whether it's selling events and group conversations, but that they also have the opportunity to dive in on something that they're particularly interested in, you know, whether they got it from uh, organic group uh, formations or from a teacher interview process, they have something that they can latch onto maybe as the chief of marketing and learn about. Um, and we have a great class in, in California and the students keep weekly blogs. Um, and it is a real stream of consciousness situation, which is delightful to hear about how they're thinking about their roles. And, you know, I read some of them this summer and they're reflecting on well, what types of roles might I fit for? Well, my, my friends say this about me, so I might be good at this. And I'm thinking I'm going to prepare my application, you know. Uh, and so I think it's oftentimes a personal exploration for them all to think about what they're good at, where they find purpose, how they can get plugged in and create value. And then often have the opportunity to do different versions of that, right? Because sometimes it's not a great fit and students realize, actually, I hate marketing. Can I try on something else? And then they get the opportunity to try on a different you know, activity, a different skill set and see if that brings them a bit more alignment, joy, purpose. And so, uh, Kristen, I'd be curious. What do you have to add to that? <laughs> I think my favorite ones are when the teachers come to us and say, you know, I'm trying to do this step by step and think through this and we've got the toolkits and I'm trying to figure out which ones will go and tackle and but my students just they want to do this they thought of this product and they, this is what they want to do but I'm trying to get them to do all this other stuff to learn first so I'm like, it's okay take a step back <laughs> if your students are raring to go let them go you know this is the learning experience and uh, it, there is no prescribed um, prescribed method and our toolkits are there for you to use as a resource, not a requirement. So surely you can let your students go, let them run with this and enjoy this process. When they get stuck, when they need resources, the curricular resources are there for them. So I love those stories. My other favorite stories are, you know, at the end of the year or throughout the year, we'll hear from um, educators who uh, tell us stories of transformation. Maybe there was a selling event or maybe there was a, um, a, an opportunity where they got to speak out in public or have a mentor come into the classroom um, or Zoom into the classroom these days. And uh, and just hearing the, the students transform, you know, in their own voice. Well, I thought this and, and now I think this or now I wasn't able to talk to people at the beginning of the year. Now I'm able to talk to, to strangers, you know, or to people that we're doing business with. And, you know, they come out of their shell. Those are my favorite, favorite stories of, of what the students experience through all this. I love that. I feel like they're they're also finding a love of learning that they probably may some of them may not have had before because they're so used to this you know they're not used to learning organically like that like you're learning because you're gonna fail at something at some point in the process something's gonna be you know maybe not fails the kind of a strong word but you're gonna have challenges throughout the entire process and you're gonna have to tackle them and there's no you yeah. know right or wrong answer and one of my one of my favorite teachers in Ohio that has been with us for a while, um, I love the way he put it. He said, students will work harder 
to make a customer happy than they will for an A. And they'll they'll learn authentically through that process, you know. So that's always one of my favorite quotes. That's so true. Cause they're actually but there's there's a re, you know, there's a there's a human again component to it where they're yeah. they don't want to disappoint that person. And and that's that's really that's a really good point. Um so Elise, as as a as a founder, what is something that you wish you would have known in 2014 that you know now? <laughs> Sorry, we don't oh my. Have time. That's a long I, list. That's a long list. <laughs> What's you know, the funniest for, one? <laughs> the funniest one. I mean, I think um, easy does it. You know, I think especially in the innovation space, and you know, I say that kind of with like bunny ears. You know. Uh, there is often this compulsion to go fast and we went fast. You know, we spent about 18 months in R&D talking to educators about like what, what could work, what could be interesting. And where we first actually started was asking, you know, it does this exist somewhere. So every you know educator that we found an article about someone running a business, like, you know, my co-founder would call them and uh, like, how, how are you doing this? How are you pulling this off? You know, and for those 18 months, we found teachers who were doing versions of it and who were really interested in it, but we couldn't find anyone who would take our money to run a business. We put a press release out for, I think it was like a half a million dollars maybe. And no one took the offer because people are like, what are you talking about? Like running a business in my classroom, you know? And so eventually we figure, aha, and this was after like eight bad ideas. Um, like an e-commerce platform that would allow us to host all of the banking, which like eases the liability for the educators, you know, and, and then any class anywhere can, can connect. You can be in a really rural space and reach customers everywhere. You don't have to haul a bunch of stuff on your back to the farmer's market. Like it solved a lot of the problems. And so we went from having a bunch of bad ideas that no one would pick up on to a kind of maybe good idea that immediately exploded. And we went from 10, educators in September to 40 educators by April to 250 educators six months later. And that first year, like everyone had my number on speed dial. We were really involved with the classrooms and that's doable at 10 and 20 classrooms. That's not doable at 250. And it took, you know, at that point in time, though, the train was on the track and we had, we carried about 250 teachers for the next three years or so. And we really had to backtrack and rebuild those systems so that the teachers could get a quality of support that they, you know, they needed. And, and obviously the, the program needed so much fine tuning along the way. We've been, you know, iterating every summer, you know, all the time. We're, we're constantly, you know, evolving the program. Uh, but we also just had to figure out internally, how do we manage all of these people in a way that honors the experience, honors the educator's time? And I think we're still, we're still figuring that out. Um, it's been a real, it's been a real labor of love to, um, to kind of find ways to make this thing run on its own without, you know, individuals. And that's an easy thing as a founder, um, when you can kind of step in in all the ways you become accidentally integral, uh, you know, and that's, that's actually not a great, that's not great for your business model, you know? And so for us to really grow up as an organization, we really had to figure out over these last couple of years, how do we make this successful, no matter who's heading the ship, no matter who's on the team, no matter, you know, so that it's not always dependent on, you know, one person or a couple people, you know, and so we've come a long way. There's still a lot of learning and growth to do. The list is long, but I think I'm really grateful for a team that is, um, has a posture of, you know, we lean into learning a lot 
to the in a way that you know kind of destigmatizes it and normalizes it. And we can pretty often all say like, oh shoot, <laughs> that wasn't quite right. Let's try again. Um, and I think for that reason, we've been able to evolve quickly and uh, support teachers better along the way. Love that I think I think it's so I think it really speaks to to you and to your organization that you are also very humble about what you don't know. It's kind of meta, like you're building this entrepreneurial, <laughs> this, this entrepreneurial company and, and to help entrepreneurs. And so it's, it's kind of a neat thing where you can go, Hey, I got the number one experience of like going, Oh, that didn't work. Let me pivot. Let me do something else. And it's just really interesting. And I think just staying humble and staying honest and open with people, I think just is the key to, to all of that. And to just be like, sorry, let's try that again. Yeah, I think you have to be in particular in entrepreneurship. Imposter syndrome is so easy to feel like, oh, my gosh, I cannot do this. There's clearly someone else who's more qualified. They're going to know that I don't know what I'm doing. And there's a beauty to leaning in and letting them know you don't know what you're doing. And I think our community has been pretty gracious. I think it's been in part because we try not to show up with like an illusion or a performance of all the things we've had figured out. We say like, this is what we're working on. This is where we're at. And I think as a result, they have a lot of grace. They see a lot of the humanity and, and reciprocally, we try to kind of create that culture here. Um, it feels important for learning. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's really, that's, I think that's where, that's why you've been so successful. That's where you need to be. Um, so, what you talked about communities and what is what are your communities like how did did those just happen organically or did you purposefully try to set those up so they really yeah they really started organically um by the time i came on i think outside of san diego pennsylvania pittsburgh region specifically was um the biggest community and i think we still are although there's some that are coming up right behind us um but we also uh, gained partners too so we have for example the harbor freight tools for schools uh, partnership um which is nationwide but in their own cohort that's kind of a specific specific community for skilled trades so um, when we look at communities we not only look at geographically but also for example our special education community you know which might be nationwide um, versus you know specific geographical location and uh, things like that and and it helps us to really uh, find um, connections among our educators uh, easier that way so an educator can connect in our community within Pittsburgh, but then if they're a fifth grade teacher, they can also connect with fifth grade teachers across the nation who are also building ed corps and they can collaborate and they can meet up and they can uh, really learn from each other. That's awesome. And is that through your platform or how do they normally connect with each other? We have a few ways. We do have a, a list of the educators each year uh, so they can reach out to each other. And that does happen. We have uh, our community meetups. We did a virtual summit last summer um, and we do community meetups a couple times a year. Last year, we did a few more of those coffee talks, you know, just because of the situation with the pandemic that we all wanted to connect a little more. Um, so that's those are our primary ways that we that we uh, try to connect everybody together. That's great. That's a, it's a tremendous resource for teachers to have. Because again, if you're not doing this for the first time, you're like, oh, I don't know what I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. A little, a little bit of help. A first year teacher in Ed Corps looks completely different than a second year teacher in Ed Corps. It's like they've got their feet wet, they know what they're doing, and the second year pretty much they they take off. So they take off and things go well in their Ed Corp and branch out from there. We've we've had the pleasure of stumbling upon, especially the Pittsburgh. Uh, area because we're well, I'm close to Pittsburgh, <laughs> so we have the just great pleasure of stumbling upon many, many of your students and teams, and they are just when they talk about what they're doing, they just light up. It's really a really wonderful experience for them to have. So, um, you did. I'm sorry. Did you? Oh, I just said I love that. It just you know, the work can be really hard. It's important to remember all of, you know, to feel connected. And so I love hearing these things reflected back that our students are, you know. Yeah, we, we lost all our money one time because we had a bunch of your teams in our, at our conference in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I don't think an adult, I don't think an adult walked out of there with any money at all. <laughs> uh, perfect. They did a great job. <laughs> we, but some of the coolest stuff, oh my gosh. I, I just, right? what they came up with this one, Young, I think he was one of your teams, the one with the with the um, beer soap. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I think um, that was over in Ohio. That 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 is cool. There's so many businesses. Ohio's got a strong presence for entrepreneurship. And then we were we were at your uh, Entre Ed conference with about ten of our groups, and they were selling some different stuff. But it is amazing to see. And then this last year, toy with the with the pandemic, it was great. We were we were encouraging people to think more uh, digital downloads or digital products, you know, or services and things that they could do differently rather than just limiting their scope to a physical product, especially when students couldn't really get together to make things that often last year. Um, we had a great experience here in the Pittsburgh region with our one of our uh, educators who runs her Ed Corp as a club or after school uh, program, and they went full remote. We're into remote. We had each student had little remote office in their home. She put out the equipment for their making into the, into the hands of the students to trust them with the equipment and everything was made. And she just went and, you know, picked things up or parents would deliver them on our doorstep or whatnot so they could continue to fulfill orders a year and that was really fun to see that they got that remote working experience um but yeah digital products and services are great we had some podcasts that had started up by some of the uh, different uh, ed corp groups out there and um some other digital downloadable kind of products it was just neat to see the variety happen because of the situation of over the uh the past year wow that is really cool that's like, it, I mean, that really showed, I mean, talk about a real world experience <laughs> that totally. them, what they, what could be done even in something when things kind of seemed a little bit hopeless. Wow. Our, so, um, Adam said he'll be here in about 10 minutes if we want to, that was about five minutes ago. So he should, he should be on very shortly about to talk about Harbor Freight Tools for Schools if you want to skill trades. Awesome. Well, so, um, you mentioned to doing you, you have the classroom ed corps you also have you have clubs too that are after school what does that what does that look like um it looks pretty similar right mm -hmm. so i think the one beauty of the after school space is that it's just far more flexible right um and so we've from the beginning we've seen clubs and after school programs kind of latch onto this or you know there have been times where we work with classrooms and uh, maybe the class has to move on or the class ends but the business wants to continue so they roll it into a club so that the students can keep going uh, and so 
from our end, it doesn't look very different. But what I think what often happens in club settings is that students aren't confined to that, you know, that school period. And so it's like the students are coming in before school. They're coming in at lunch. They're coming in after school, you know, that because it's really driven. It, they're there by choice. It's really driven by student interest. Oftentimes those businesses can take up a little bit more space and grow um, a little freer, honestly, because of more time. Um, BW Creations is a perfect example of that, which Kristen was just sharing a bit. That was, you know, the, the class that started that podcast and they had everything that, that went home. That was actually a club. And so uh, we've seen some really successful businesses grown out of clubs. Yeah, I think that a really good target area for us is the out of school time area. Talk about a community. Um, we've had discussions across the nation that, you know, hopefully will support a larger cohort of those kinds of ed corps. Uh, happening in the out of school time space, um, and uh, and we'll we'll hopefully be here to to continue to support those conversations and see those come to fruition. Yeah, that's such an important time, and everyone's trying to figure out the best way to handle this out of school experiences and get kids more involved in their you know more of this experiential learning and things that are, is outside of kind of the traditional model of of school. So. Um, what advice might you both give to a teacher or even a young person that wants to wants to get started with this? Kristen, you can go first on this one. Besides go to the website and apply. I know. <laughs> After that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, I encourage any student, any young person and their parents and their teachers, but um, to if they have an idea just don't put it down let it let it flourish find ways for that uh student to uh investigate and to uh, learn and to you know think about it and let it have room to get wings you know and i think um when teachers uh come into this setting i think that's probably the most thing that they remark about and are amazed about at first is how much students will latch onto it and usually it's students they don't expect who will actually just completely latch on to this because it's creative and different than their usual schoolwork. And it doesn't involve worksheets or it doesn't involve lengthy lectures. It's actually doing something. And so I think when we as adults give children space to do that kind of experiential learning and investigation and, you know, becoming very personally involved and engaged in the work they're doing, I think there's just room to flourish and grow. And, and so that would be my first, my first a suggestion as a teacher and a parent is to just allow that space to grow. I love that. Yeah, it's amazing what they can do when we get out of their way. <laughs> and I think um, this is true both for educators who are working with us, but for anyone starting a business, um, there's something about just doing it. I think there is so much resistance to the creative process that we all experience. And it sounds so logical, right? Like, well, we can't do that because of timing. We can't do that because we couldn't, you know, we don't have access to these resources. Um, and the reality is, you know, if, if there's a teacher who wants to work with us, if they signed up to work with us, there's something in them that actually wants to say yes, yes to the entrepreneurial spirit, yes to the entrepreneurial process. And so along the way, we know that that resistance is going to come up, whether you're, you know, even as an entrepreneur, like if you're starting something, and, and I think this is true for so many people who are sitting on that idea and they're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get started, you know, when I finish, you know, remodeling the garage, I'm going to get started when I change jobs and have more time, like I'm going to get started tomorrow. And I think there is something about 
cutting all of the mental clutter, uh, all of the logical resistance that you have towards leaning into uncertainty and just doing it. Um, And I think for a teacher, that means welcoming in that uncertainty uh, of co-creating with your students. I know that it is oftentimes so uncomfortable and out of the scope of what a lot of traditional classrooms can look like. And there's some, you know, there are lots of, there's endless reasons why, you know, we, our brains could come up with why we shouldn't do that. And yet we know the data shows, like I think our, our, our best pedagogical practices show that like giving students that ownership is worthwhile. It's meaningful, it creating, you know, it deepens engagement, right? And so it's like limiting that, uh, the ability for that resistance to come up and just pulling the trigger, you know, taking this first step, jumping off, you know, it. once you're there, you'll figure it out. And kind of to Kristen's point, so much of the happen, the learning happens when you need it to, right? It's like, oh, we ha- now we have to figure out uh, Facebook advertising. And so now we're going to go learn about that. And we're going to go down those rabbit holes because it matters because we're doing it right now, right? And so all those things that you're like, oh, well, we don't, we don't know how to do that. It's actually an amazing opportunity for you and your certain students to dive in and learn more about that. All those big question marks can be opportunities to learn and co-create together. Uh, and we can figure those things out after we get started. So one of the things that I always... Um am amazed when I talk about Ed Corps with educators and then if the parents are there as well or parents are involved, it's just how much all of them say, I wish I had this when I was younger. Um, and, you know, as adults, I've worked with adults in entrepreneurial world as well and their startups and such. And uh, as adults, it's so quick and easy for us to put up our own barriers to stop ourselves. It's the believability that, you know, we we don't believe we can do it and we stop ourselves. But as children, they don't have that yet. You know, they're still wanting to explore and believe they can tackle the world. And so um, I think that's the greatest thing that I've seen from EdCorps is that students are able to experience this and see, yes, we made this happen. We can do this. Even if we failed, we learned from it. Now I know in my future, in my career, even if it, if I go on to be an entrepreneur or have a little side business or work for somebody else, that uh, there's, this, there's this barrier that's been knocked down because I know I've already done this. Like I've done this work and made it happen. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And like that horrible evil word, that uncertainty word is very scary for people when they're trying to start something new and they, you know, and teachers are are so good. I mean, teachers do so much and have to be so organized that not knowing, you know, what's going to happen when I let go of this organization has to be a, a little bit of a, a hurdle for them. But I mean, I think it's, it's so important. And with students to have, having the experience of actually starting a business, whether they continue with it or not, it's building that self-efficacy to go, you know, like when they're 30 years old, they might go, yeah, I have this idea. And I, you know what, I know I can do that because I did that before. I know it's possible. And it's just making those connections and, and giving them that that's another, you know, option now it's on the table it's another career option now and and whether it happens immediately or whether it happens at 40 years old it's always going to be with them which is so such a cool cool thing so this is a first for the entre ed talk podcast this is exciting so we have a, a a new guest that just popped in so adam adam mathis hi welcome Thank you. I apologize for being late. <laughs> no worries. Not at all. We're excited that you could join us. So um, why don't we just, uh, we'll kind of, we're kind of all over the place, back up a little bit and um, 
just if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and, and your background and tell us, I know we're waiting to hear about Harbor Freight. So I'm excited to hear about your, your uh, real world scholars community and what's going on with all of that. So fire away. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I don't know how much detail you want about me, but um, my name is Adam Mathis. Uh, I've been with uh, real world scholars now for coming up on four years. Um, and um, I manage the, Harbor Freight Tools for Schools cohort of, uh, of classrooms. Um, and I've been around since the beginning of this initiative, which has been really exciting. Uh, we support uh, public high school skilled trades classrooms. Uh, and the primary like central ed corps experience is the same uh, as it is uh, across all the other cohorts. But for this specific group of, of classrooms, it's CTE teachers, uh, but more specifically skilled trades teachers. Uh, and they differentiate that with uh, the use of tools, power tools, hand tools, uh, fab lab equipment. Um, the, and they, it's, it's an expectation that classes that, uh, that we support will use those, uh, those machines and tools to, to make the products that they, that they market and sell. Uh, and we have everything from, uh, you know, wood shop and and um, welding fabrication classrooms to engineering classes. Uh, we've had a few kind of interesting outliers, uh, agriculture tech classrooms who've, uh, you know, who've made really great partnerships. Um, we had a, a class in Chattanooga that, um, uh, an agriculture tech class that uh, they were working with the local um National State Park uh, identifying issues that the the bat population was was uh, was having, and the, alongside the rangers of the park, they were developing these uh, bat boxes for safe uh, hibernation spaces, and that was their that was their product. And so the the teacher hadn't really ever used woodworking tools, but she learned herself how to do woodworking, and then brought the woodworking into the class, and the students learned all about how to to design and build bat boxes, and they were. You know they had they had a lot of great success that year. So we've we've had uh, classes that have run the kind of gamut uh, uh, of of what I guess a, a modern sort of skilled education skilled trades education class would look like uh, these days, and it's been really interesting to 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 be a part of. I think that's so great. Now I have a personal love of career tech ed because I was I was an administrator for career tech high school, so I absolutely love that, and it's such. It's such a natural fit because most of those most of those young folks will probably apprentice or go on to some additional trade or educate something, but eventually they're going to probably get a truck and a company and start to build it. And so having that experience now is just going to be so helpful for them in the future. And I love the skilled trades class. <laughs> I was I was an engineer once upon a time, so getting a tool in my hand is very exciting. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree. It's a it's a very natural fit for the Ed Corp's experience. Uh, you know, students traditionally in these types of classes are making things anyway, and now they're finding ways to you know monetize that, but also to to get you know feedback and and hear from customers about what types of things customers want and need, and then they can they can build that into you know, into their production process and they're getting all of the other aspects of running a business in addition to the, the building that they were already doing. It's, it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a really great fit. Uh, and we've seen a lot of, you know, really interesting student success stories. And it's, it's, uh, you know, from a personal perspective for me, it's you know, similarly to you, I don't have myself an engineering background, but my, my father is a, is a tradesman and he, you know, has been in, in construction and real estate land development all his life. And I've spent a significant amount of my own time when I was younger on job sites and working with uh, very, 
various tradespeople, and it's it's been really cool to be a part of uh, from a you know from a personal perspective too. That's that's so wonderful, and I mean I bet it's such a, a really wonderful uh, option for the community too to have. I know we we did some some through some of our skilled trades classes, and it was just like people were lining up because the kids were offering better service than they could get anywhere else. <laughs> Yeah, we're seeing a few uh, a few instances where, especially in some of the smaller communities that we're currently supporting, uh, uh, where you know the 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 what the the offer the the services the products the students are offering and are are really you know being taken on by the community. We have a, a class in Wyoming that. Uh, has I mean they they they're they're even part of like the local chamber of commerce now like they're they're really like really well integrated into the community and you know some of the students that are coming through the class are looking at you know it's I mean it's it's a very small town of about a thousand people and there are you know empty buildings and businesses that are sort of you know that don't that haven't had people coming up to sort of take over and they're the students that are a part of the business and now getting a little bit of entrepreneurial experience or seeing some of these local businesses and thinking, you know, if I don't, you know, if I don't leave town, if I don't go off to college, like one of these businesses might be, might be mine someday, you know, they're, they're already like integrating themselves in the community in that way. It's, it's really cool to see. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad you were able to pop on and join us. That's what a great, what a great finisher. <laughs> I love that idea. So career tech teachers, you are not out of this. You get, get on board for sure. So how can folks, as we wrap up, how can folks find out more about real world scholars and EdCore and get involved. And we will put all of this information in our, in our show notes. So they, you won't have to search folks very hard for any of this. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I would say the first thing to do would be just to check out the website, realworldscholars.org. And the second thing I would encourage is signing up for the newsletter. Um, I think we always have dreams of being more robust in our in our sharing, um, but at a minimum, you know, folks want to get involved. We share out all of our application dates and all the most relevant kind of info as to what it looks like to um, connect with us, collaborate with us, partner with us, use the program, et cetera. And so I would encourage them to check out that website, sign up for that newsletter, and then be in touch. We are always down to have conversations. And so uh, we have throughout the year typically um, we, we both have kind of internal EdCorps community meetups, but uh, we try to have some that are also kind of open so that other people can kind of join our conversation. And so those, um, if they sign, if someone signs up for the newsletter, they'll also be kind of kept up to date with opportunities to join an EdCorps meetup so that they can either talk to other EdCorps educators or with us. And I would I would just add on to that, that it's not just teachers, but also anyone in the community who's looking, who's listened to this and thinks this is something great that their community could use um, or partners or corporate partners or anything like that. Who's anyone who's listening, who finds it interesting, you'll find all the information you need there at the website as well to learn how to partner with us. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for for joining me today. This has been so wonderful. And thank you, Kristen, for organizing everything on your end and getting everyone on here. I'm really excited to have met y'all and I knew Kristen, but I'm excited to have met you, Lisa and Adam as well. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Toy. This yeah. was fun. Thank you. Yeah, Hopefully you can be on again at episode 205. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Maybe sooner. Tenny will check it. I like it.
Uh, thank you all so much. Have a have a wonderful rest of your day. You Thanks too. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye bye. Thanks. Thank you.